Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. Thank you guys for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks for uh, being here in person or being with us online, however you're with us. We're just grateful you are deciding to come and spend some time with us this Sunday morning. On behalf of the, the staff, the elders, and everyone here at Sozo, can we, just, can we just extend to you a very happy, joyous, and Merry Christmas? Um, Christmas season is upon us. Uh, it's interesting to me how Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, and yet this time of year seems like it's utter chaos. <laughs> Between parties and activities and games and stuff and gatherings, which are all wonderful and awesome, and we love them all. Yeah. Uh, it, can, it can be easy, come on, to, to get overwhelmed by all of this and to... And to, to to, to, to miss out on all that God has for us in these seasons. And so uh, we, we've, we've decided as, as we've been kind of coming to the end of our multi-year uh, journey through the Gospel of John, uh, we, have, we have come to this place uh, where, where Jesus is, 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 is ultimately fulfilling the purpose for which he came to earth. And so we've decided to spend Christmas, come on, at the cross. We've decided to, to, to spend our time to invest this season uh, of 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 where normally we tend to want to focus on the manger, right? Where normally we want to focus on Bethlehem. Rather, God in, in his goodness has us focusing on the cross. What I want us to understand as we look at this, and, and I want to keep this as simple as I can. So let me say it this way. Christmas happened so that Calvary could happen. That, that if, we, if, if, we, if we get Christmas, but we miss Easter, there is something significant lacking in all that Christ came to accomplish and to do. Calvary was planned and purposed, and we saw last week, come on, prophesied as the ultimate fulfillment and end of the Christmas story. So these things are not disconnected. They're not separate from one another. Because of Calvary, we now see the true meaning, the true purpose, the, 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 true, the true plan, the true power, come on, the true cost of what Christmas is all about. So don't think of these things as we, as we are diving into the text of Calvary. Don't think of these things as, well, well, this doesn't have anything to do with Christmas or Christmas doesn't have anything to do with this. No, rather, beloved, they are intimately tied together and connected John 1, 1. We're, we're, not, we're not to the message today. I just want to make sure we understand why we're doing Christmas at the cross. John 1, 1. In the beginning, come on, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. It has been a challenge. It has been challenged by some that John does not include a Christmas narrative. The, the, the there's no wise men and manger. There's no shepherds. There's there's none of that. And and so some would say, well, the Gospel of John doesn't have a a an account of that. And I would propose to you, no, John instead of starting at the birth of Christ, John starts. Come on, at the very beginning in eternity past and reveals to us who Jesus really is. Come on. Jesus is the word in the beginning. He is face to face. That is that is intimately connected and joined one with the Father. And the miracle of Christmas is John 1:14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth jesus come on leaves his face to face union and intimacy with the father and the spirit to partake of all that it means to be human and he does this for a purpose and on purpose I need us to grasp this. I need us to understand this. It'll be important as we get into the message today. Jesus does not wear humanity like a costume. He doesn't just sort of look like one of us, have the appearance of one of us, while avoiding everything that it is to be human. This is hard for us to grasp. Often for Christians, it's easy for us to get the divinity of Jesus, which are he's God. But it can be harder. We can wrestle with the reality that, that he is also simultaneously, actually, in reality, human. Not just one with us, but one of us. Jesus does this because he is on a divine mission. He has a purpose for coming. We've talked about this. I just want to make sure we don't forget he, he, his mission. He delivers us by being and bringing the light of God into our darkness. What I hope you see today is the into part. He brings that light into our darkness. If you got your Bibles, let's, let's, let's start this morning. That was all free. That was just extra added bonus. John chapter 19, we're going we're gonna to read verses 28 through 37. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. We love the scriptures here, amen? We love the ones that we like, and we love the ones that we don't like. Yes, a preacher just admitted that there are some verses I don't like. All the ones in the Old Testament tell me I can't eat pork. I don't like those. <laughs> Praise Jesus for the new covenant. <laughs> Celebrated every morning with bacon. <laughs> All right. Um, John chapter 19. Uh, I don't have time to, to get a, a full review, but Jesus has gone through his trial. He's been falsely accused. He's gone through all of that. He's been condemned by Pilate. We've already seen his torture, his beating, his passion. And now we come to verse 28. After this, after all that took place, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, everybody say finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge 
full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might take, be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once came out blood and water. He who saw it bore witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the scriptures. God, we thank you for your voice. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the whisper of your, wor of your voice within your word. And God, we come to this hard text today. We come to the, 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 the reality presented to us of what you did for us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that we would come soberly and circumspectly to what it is you would speak to us today. God, we rejoice over this, but we also we want to rejoice deeply and not sh from some shallow response. We want to let your word go deep today, God. Reveal to us the measure of the reality of the weight of all that you have accomplished. And I ask that, that as we recognize the price that you have paid, it would increase in our sight the value of your love for us. That it might transform the way we think of ourselves and the way we think of you. That we might leave this place transformed by a fuller and more complete revelation of who you are. For your glory and the good of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Why don't you high-five somebody real fast and grab a seat. Amen, amen. Um, before, we, before we jump in, I, I want to just remind you all, um, before we get to, to, to the message here, uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and so um, I want to clarify and make sure you all know kind of what's happening Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. We will still have our, our regular Sunday morning gathering. Um, that will still be something we do. Come on, we do this every Sunday, amen? amen. So Sunday morning, we still invite you to gather with us. We're gonna, we're gonna celebrate that. And then Sunday evening, 4.30, we will have our, 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 our uh, traditional, uh, tradition for us anyways, uh, 
Christmas Eve service, our evening service, so that'll be scripture reading and candlelight, come on, and a gospel presentation, amen? So this is a great opportunity for you to find your least favorite relative and make them come so they can get saved, so they can be part of your eternal family. I just, I just, I just ruined my sales pitch for some of you. You're like, wait, no, I don't. No, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing, we're going to read scripture, we're going we're gonna to encounter the, the reality of, come on, Christmas, and we're going to do that together. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to be great. You're going to love it. Amen? Awesome. Uh, let's, let's jump into the message today. Um, I want to talk to you under the title, The Death of Life. Um, I just want to stop for a moment and just, just be really transparent. This, this may be one of the hardest messages I've had to work on in many, many years. Because it's, it's, it's so tempting to, to just gloss over all of this and just kind of move on. It, it's also, I think, difficult because the death of Jesus is something we talk about on a surface level so frequently in the church that the temptation is to just do that again and move on. But if you've been tracking with us, if you've been a part of this journey with us, we're really reaching a very hard and difficult portion of what Jesus came here to accomplish and what John purposed in his purpose in writing this gospel to show us. What I mean by that is that ultimately we're coming to the point where Jesus is finishing his mission. He says it himself in his own words, it is finished, right? We read that. He knew that this was, this was coming to an end. And while certainly there is more to be explored, there's, there's more, come on, there's more chapters of John. Come on, the story doesn't end with his death. But, but please hear me, there is a finality to his death that I don't want us to miss. See, what, what the temptation is for the Christian, and this is a, can I say this? This is a good temptation. This is a right temptation. Is we want to skip over the cross and get to the empty tomb. But I believe, and I would, I would stand in, 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 in a crowd of witnesses with, 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 with theologians, pastors, and, and, and great thinkers of the Christian movement in ages gone by, that there is deep value to us meditating upon the cross. Now, now I want to I also agree with Tozer, who says that, that, that the cross is a necessary part, not only of Jesus' journey, but of our journey, but it ought to be the shortest, come on part of our journey. We don't live at the cross, we live at the empty tomb. But you have to go through the cross, come on, to get to the empty tomb. And here's what I want to I suggest to you, that the more we understand the cross, the more, the more greatly we can celebrate the empty tomb. And so I want to spend this morning at the cross. I want us to look at this to not just gloss over it, but to stare at it, to look into it deeply and meaningfully. Jesus is finishing his mission. This mission, again, that we talked about already, was to deliver us by being and bringing the light of God into our darkness. He's, he's, he's bringing this light. He's bringing all of this into, as light, I want, don't miss this, as light, he is going into darkness. Jesus had every, if anyone has a right to withhold himself from darkness, it would be Jesus. And yet in love, come on, he willingly goes into our darkness. We've defined darkness as simply this, the deception, the delusion, the depravity, and the death born out of our rejection and rebellion of God. 
We chose to, to believe lies about who he is, about who we are. That's deception and delusion. This produces within us all forms of depravity, all forms of wickedness, all forms of corruption, all forms of garbage and junk. And that ultimately has led to death ruling and reigning in our lives. What I was hoping you caught last week is that these things don't only feed into one another or lead into one another, but rather they feed one another. Weird, bad analogy. Starfish. I used to, I used to work, one of my first jobs was I, I worked on a tour boat, the island of Guam. We would take out tourists and we would go, we would, we would take them snorkeling and then we would drive them around on jet skis. If you ever want to know uh, how, how much you, you value your life, put a person on a jet ski in front of you that doesn't speak the same language as you and doesn't know how to use a jet ski and just let them go and you have to sit on the back. It's where you thank God for the kill switch because she's like, they understand that. You need no language to understand what you just did was dumb when you kill somebody's uh, uh, jet ski while they're riding on it. But, but one of the things we would do is we would dive down into the water and we would pull up starfish. That was a good way to increase tips. And so uh, we, we would do this, and, 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 and the weird thing about starfish, starfish, if you, you can remove one of their legs, and that leg will grow back. But here's where starfish get creepy, and I'm pretty convinced they came from another planet. <laughs> you cut off the leg, the starfish will grow the leg back. But you know what else will happen? The leg will grow another starfish. That's creepy. That's weird. That's alien. Okay, that's, that's sort of like what I'm trying to say when I say they feed one another. If you, you can deal with all of them uh, except for one, and it will grow the rest by itself. You can remove one, and that will come back, but you can leave one, and the rest will all come back. So Jesus, knowing this, he has to deal with all of this. One of the questions that came up as we started down this journey, I got several questions from some of you asking, well, well, if, if Jesus came and delivers us from the deception and the delusion, then doesn't that take care of the rest of it? I, I love you. This is not one of those, you cut the root and the rest dies. No, this is starfish problem. This is not a weed problem. This is a starfish problem. This is new theology I'm coming up with on the spot. <laughs> this is not a, not new theology. It's a new, whatever already taught you. Don't listen to anybody who comes up with new theology. There's a term we've come, we, 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 we understand for new theology. The term is for new theology is heresy. If you're the first person who's ever thought of it, you're wrong. That was just free. That was just that had nothing to do with anything. It was just free. Uh, so, so Jesus notes he has to deal with the totality of all this. He has to make his way through this. The way I've said this is this, that Jesus is smuggling himself to the very bottom, to the depths of the chasm of the cave of our sin and our shame. I love the, 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 the verse. It says, we led him there as if we were the ones in control. So Jesus delivers us he, he comes as the light. He brings the light. He comes into our story. Again, I, I, want, I, want you, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. He comes into our darkness. He's, he's not, let me say it this way, he's not only witnessing, but he's confronting the darkness. He didn't just come down as a tourist and go like, yep, it really is dark down here. He, didn't just, he doesn't just sort of drive through the bad neighborhoods of Chicago and go like, glad I don't live here. 
he's confronting the very reality. He's confronting each and every piece of darkness. But it's not enough for him to confront it. He has come, come on, to triumph over them. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. It's not enough to just confront. He must triumph. It's not just a witness. He doesn't just witness their existence. He challenges their validity by exposing their lack of substance. Darkness, I've taught you this, has no ontological existence. Darkness, come on, darkness it has no tangible material being. Darkness is a lack of something, not a presence of something. So Jesus showing up as light is simply exposing darkness for being nothing. He's, <laughs> he's shining a light on darkness's nothingness. But in order to do this, light has to invade the space where darkness is currently residing. So the question is, is how does he do this? How does he triumph over them? He does this because Jesus takes upon himself every aspect of our darkness. Please don't rush past that. Please don't rush past. I know it's uncomfortable. Jesus takes upon himself every aspect of our darkness. Let me, let me just show you one way that he did this in the passages we've been studying. In his trial, we put on him the complete picture of the fantasy of our deception and our delusion. Did you, did you catch this as we, as we walked through the trial and they made accusation after accusation after accusation? Jesus stands silent before their accusations. We painted on his face the false narrative we both inherited and invested in. This, 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 this messed up, untrue picture of who God is. We called the one who is truth himself, we called him not only a liar, we called him a lie. You are not who you say you are. You are other than otherly. You are not holy. You are not good. You are not loving. We accused him of being the opposite of what he is, and he accepted our accusations, not defending himself, or even, even, please, or even responding to our curses. Instead, in this beauty of who God is, he met us where we were. He submitted to what they wanted to put on him. Can I put it in a, He played the part we assigned him. He became what we said he was. He took upon himself our deception and our delusion. He came in our sight. In, in our sight, he became the, the false picture we drew of God. 
We, we, were, we are like, because, because of sin, because of darkness, we are like a blind man in a dark room wearing a blindfold, drawing a picture of what we think God looks like. And we show it to him and he says, okay, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take upon myself your deception and your delusion. I will take upon myself your false ideas about who I am. I will play the part you want to assign me. Jesus became our deception and our delusion. In his suffering, we laid on him the full weight of the unfiltered filth of our depravity. We mocked him, we beat him, we abused him, we tortured him until perfect love could no longer be seen and only one whom we hide our faces from, Isaiah tells us. He literally became the embodiment of ugliness, shame, and all that we seek to avoid. He became the physical embodiment of depravity. If you want to know what depravity looks like, look at Jesus, tortured, beaten, flesh ripped from his body, mocked, scourged, spat on, abused. That's what sin and depravity looks like. And he physically became the embodiment of it. And yet, the heartbreaking reality is that was not enough. Not enough for us. After he had been beaten, after he had been mocked, after he'd been abused, after he'd been accused, after he'd been abused, after all of that, Pilate puts him in front of the people and we demanded not only that he become our, de our deception, not only that he take on our delusion, not only that he take on our depravity, but that he take on our death, we demanded his crucifixion. We demanded that he die. And Jesus had chosen to drink every last drop of our darkness, and now he faces the final sip of death. But the question that keeps nagging at me as I walk this journey is this, how? How, how, how is he supposed to die? How can the one who is eternal life drink of the cup of death in any real way? If you track the narrative back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after his baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit, Jesus goes into the wilderness. We're talking about this in our youth ministry right now. And there the scriptures tell us he did not eat or drink for 40 days. And yet death did not come to him. Because again, he does not have eternal life. He is eternal life. So how then can the one who is eternal life really die? How can, if we demand the death of God, how can we kill God who cannot die? 
Please don't, don't, well, well, you just nailed him to a cross. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Nailing Jesus to a cross would not kill him. It could not kill him. He did not die because we nailed him to a cross. How is it that Jesus could die? Can God die? Can we truly kill him? For Jesus to taste death, for the genesis of life, the fountainhead of creation, the wellspring of the cosmos, for him to die, he must become something. He must become more than just our deception, more than just our delusion, more than just our depravity, in order to, 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 to make the, 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 the journey through the span of the chasm, he must become something. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus to just take upon himself every aspect of our darkness. Jesus takes into himself every aspect of our darkness. What Jesus had to do was become sin. For our sake, he made him who knew, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus likens himself to the bronze serpent on the pole being lifted up in the wilderness to bring healing to those bitten by the serpent. He became that which has infected us. It was not enough. We demanded his death, and in order for him to die, he had to become sin. I want you to hear me. The cross did not kill Jesus. Our sin killed Jesus. For Jesus to taste death, he had to become sin, and it was our sin that killed him. This is why in the text we see they come to Jesus Hear me, please. They come to him, and he was already dead. The, 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 the Roman cross was designed to be a slow, agonizing, and painful death. This was not something that killed you in the course of a few minutes or even hours. Sometimes there are some historians that, that, that report that it would take days for people to die on the cross. The reason why they would break their legs is, is literally you would use your legs to push yourself up. Yes, pushing against the nail driven between your feet so that you could breathe. And so if they broke the legs of the ones on the cross, they would physically be unable to do that and then just suffocate and die. And because of their religious Needs they, they needed this gone, so they needed this taken care of. So they said, hey, let's just bust their legs and move on. Let's just kind of move past this. But what do they find? Jesus has already drank. Come on, I don't have time to go, to go into to, to the sour wine and hyssop, but they're both pictures of redemption in the old covenant. Jesus drinks fully of what needs to be there. And so now it's done. And sin kills him. What I want you to understand is this. I've wrestled with words to try to get us to understand this. By absorbing every aspect of our darkness, by making, 
by making our darkness his own, by taking ownership of our darkness, Jesus qualified himself to die. See, it's, it's one thing for me to go, we killed him. It's another thing to realize that he chose, he chose all the stuff before this was to make it so that he could die without taking upon himself our deception, without taking upon himself our delusion, without taking upon himself our depravity. There could be no taking upon himself our death. Every step he took toward this was qualifying him, was, was can I say it this way, was earning him the right to die in our place. Genesis 2.17, but, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. For the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 2.14, this, this, this blows my mind. Since therefore the children, that's, that's all of us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Not only did he play the role that we demanded he play, he ate the meal we demanded he eat. He drank the cup we handed him to drink. Jesus chooses to become sin every step of his journey into our darkness, into the cave of our sin and our shame was, was, was preparing and qualifying him to die. Why? Isaiah 53, 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. See, beloved, this verse I read to you is incomplete. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus become sin? Why is it so important that we understand that he became sin? He wasn't just a good guy who was martyred. He wasn't just some, some wonderful teacher who religious people couldn't stand and political people didn't want around so they got rid of him. No, he became for us sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To the degree he partook of our sin, we now partake, come on church, of his righteousness. This is why this is so important to me. If you diminish how much sin he became, you are simultaneously diminishing how much righteous you have become. And I'm, I'm just going to level with you. I don't know for sure, I, I have not been able to quantify which makes Christians more uncomfortable? Saying that Jesus became sin or saying that we've become his righteousness? Because we don't like dealing with either one. 
We want to make the cross some legal transactional thing that God had to do in order to legally love us. No, the cross happened because he loves you. I said the cross happens because he loves you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is the very motivator of the cross. You aren't hated on one side of the cross and loved on the other. I just made like a bunch of people uncomfortable, so let's just drill down into that. You're not rejected on one side of the cross and accepted on the other side. He predestined you before the foundation of the earth to be conformed into the image of God, to bear the image of Christ. That was his plan from the very beginning. And when we messed it up, he didn't change his plan. He said, okay, you you made a mess. I'll clean it up. He had determined that we would share in the intimacy of the spinning dance of who God is. And when we said we didn't want any part of it, he said, watch me win your heart anyway. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. As much as he became sin, we have become righteous. You have been restored by all that Christ has accomplished. You've been restored to your intended place of union in the Godhead. It's yours. You might be sitting here and saying, but you don't know, I've done this, I've done that, I don't, I don't, I don't perform well in this area, I don't do good in this, yeah, yeah, In the same way, listen, 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 in the same way that Jesus did not seem to deserve the cross, yet he qualified himself for it, he has qualified you to be called righteous, to share a bank account of righteousness with God. So yours might be empty, and beloved, it is, but it is joined to his, therefore you have access to unlimited righteousness. He drank the wine. He died. The picture that John gives us here, they don't break his legs, And when they pierce his side, something unexpected comes out. Not just blood, but blood mixed with water. Doctors tell us this is because literally the heart of Jesus would have had to rupture for this to take place. The water and the plasma of his blood separated. Literally, Jesus did not die because of the cross. He died because of a literal broken heart. Our sin was the cause of his suffering. It broke his heart open. Please hear me, beloved. I don't think this is just some some romantic, metaphorical picture. He opened his heart for us to be able to see his love for us. 
Do you see why we can't just glaze over this? I know it's uncomfortable. I know, I know this is supposed to be Christmas. We're supposed to talk about baby Jesus and how happy and all the, but, but Christmas is meaningless without the cross. And the cross is meaningless unless we understand the price that it really was. It's ugly and it's horrific and it's terrible and it's the most beautiful thing we can gaze upon. Because it is the manifestation of his love for us. I've said this, I think, every week for the last few months. In love, Jesus willingly submits to humanity's darkness. I'm, I'm, I know, I know I'm, 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 I'm rubbing up against some things in people's theology where we want to believe stuff, but, but I, I want to challenge us to think it was not it was not our religious conception of wrath that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was his love. Now what does love do to that which seeks to kill that which love loves? I would, I would propose to you that the response of love to that which seeks to bring death to what love loves looks a lot like what we call wrath. But that wrath is not aimed at what love loves. It is aimed at what seeks to kill what love loves. He died by becoming sin so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. So I I, want to, I know... I want to land here. Watch your mouth when it comes to the way you talk about yourself. This is why I can no longer abide anyone saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Put that statement in front of the backdrop of the cross and see if it stands up. Too high a price was paid for you for you to still claim you are a sinner saved by grace. You are a blood-bought heir and son of the living God. Whether you know it or not, So evangelism now is not us going out and trying to convince people to vote for Jesus. Evangelism is us going out and saying, guess what? You are a lost son and you didn't even know it. You belong to him. Stop asking people if they want to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Jesus is the Lord of their life whether they like it or not. We go out proclaiming the victory of our King not to try to get people to enlist in his army. That was way better than you responded, by the way. <laughs> He's already victorious. He's already won. I know we haven't even got, listen, we haven't even got to the resurrection yet. We're going to get there. But he declared that it was finished before even the resurrection. 
Again, some of you Bible scholars out there already know this. The, the word, it is finishers, tetelestai. It is, a, it, is a, it is a transactional term. I've taken on all of the debt and it is absorbed. It's done. Darkness is defeated. It's, it's done away with. Now we're going to get to the importance and the value and the reality of the resurrection. And next year in January, we are going to see that his resurrection is your resurrection. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. So no longer is there any room for any darkness to have any place in your life whatsoever. Again, I said this last week. I'm laying out the deception, delusion, depravity, death part of it so we understand what he did not to put us back under it. You are not under it. You are over it. Get over it. So today as we move into our response, I want to encourage us as we come to the table of the Lord, to recognize that this, these are, I know, 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 I know. I know. We're so scared of Catholic doctrines that we just go, well, it's just bread and it's just juice. And we ignore 2,000 years of church history that says Jesus is present in these elements. Listen, we can argue about how he's present. I'm good with that. But I, I'm not, you can't get me to go to the it's just in remembrance camp. I love them. They're my brothers. I'm not saying they're heretics. But they're just, um, what's the word? Wrong. They're just wrong. They are ignorant to what's really going on. As we come to the table, can we remember the value, celebrate the price, and encounter the reality of all that has been accomplished for us? I know we do this every week, and so it's easy to make it meaningless. But we do it every week because it's valuable. Come on, church. Because it's valuable, we do it. We partake in a method known as antique. Should we take a piece of bread or gluten-free wafer? If you can't handle gluten, we get it. We'll pray for you. <laughs> After years of study and deep research, I finally figured out what gluten is. Flavor. <laughs> but if you need those, we love you. They're available. White tables on the edges. We're also going to commune not only at the table of the Lord, but also with one another. We have a team of people that will be making their way over to the cross. They would love to stand with you and pray with you if you have need of anything. We're going to celebrate. We're going to, we're going to rejoice at his goodness in our lives. Come on, church. Amen. We're also going to take some time for contemplation. We're going to try to let what we have heard today go deep within the fibers of our being. I think this is the kind of message, I'm just, I'm just being honest, for me, as I studied this out, as I wrestled through this reality, as I had to find a way to try to, to grasp as I grappled with all of this, I found there were some things in my own heart that needed to get shifted around. To, to use scriptural terms, there was some stuff that needed to get pulled down and some stuff that needed to get built up. That happens through contemplation. We also get to do another amazing thing today during our response that I promise you we didn't 
strategize. Just, it, it just happened. We get to celebrate baptism. The union not only, please hear me, I'm going to say this the way you don't want to hear it. The union not only in the resurrection, but also in the death. We are united to him, the scripture says, in baptism, into his death and his resurrection. Again, we live forever in the resurrection. I'm not denying that. But we get there through the death. So we're going to baptize some people. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. We're going to commune. We're going to contemplate. We're going to let this do the work that it needs to do in our hearts. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, you are too good. You are just... You are just ridiculously too good. God, you are too good. There, there's, there's, there's more goodness in you than we have capacity to contain. Your, your, your love, your grace, your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, is beyond our measure and beyond our comprehension. Jesus, why? If, if somehow I've been able to, to wrestle out a how, it does nothing to answer the resounding, reverberating, why? Why did you do it? And the only answer you give us, Lord, somehow makes me more uncomfortable than the discomfort of not knowing. And that simple, resounding, eternal answer is you love us. And that just makes it too much. And so all I can do all I can do. The only response I have is to become a puddle in your presence. To stand shoulder to shoulder with my brother Isaiah and say, I am undone. Spirit of the living God, undo us today. Let us not be satisfied with cookie cutter Christianity and bumper sticker theology and drive by thinking. No, we want to let you spirit of God go deep within us. Yes, we're charismatic. That means we want to, we want to sing and shout and speak in tongues and pray for sick people. But we're also Christians, which means spirit of God. We want you to go deep within the chasms of our soul. Do your wonderful miracle work. God, where sin and shame have marred us, where they have made a mess of us, Holy Spirit, you are weaving together in a way that only you can this beautiful tapestry revealing 
the righteousness that is ours in Christ. Jesus, thank you for making us righteous. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing to us the righteousness that is right now a present reality in our soul. We are not becoming righteous. You have already made us righteous. Spirit of God, empower us to walk out the righteousness that is ours in you. If you're here this morning, I'm not going to ask you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm here to declare to you that he has done all that is necessary. That he has won by right your soul. You belong to him. He made you and he bought you. You are his. So all the garbage that religion has told you you have to do to earn or merit your way back into his good graces is a lie. You belong to him. This is why the scriptures tell us to repent and believe. That is not a work that we do. Repentance means to admit and abandon the utter ridiculous ignorance and foolishness that has controlled our lives. Repentance means to admit and abandon the idea that he is other than good and that you are anything other than his. You've tried to prove by your behavior that you don't belong to him and he still lays claim on you. I have good bad news for you. Your attempt to reject him has failed. He has rejected your rejection. He has canceled your canceling. I get in trouble every time I say this, so I like to say it. Jesus is like my junior high girlfriend. I broke up with her and she said no. Technically, I think I'm still dating her. Jesus rejects your rejection. He cancels our rebellion. So my encouragement to you is not make Jesus the Lord of your life. My encouragement to you is give up on an already failed endeavor trying to live without him. It says repent, then it says believe. Believe simply means to embrace and entrust him. Embrace the reality of who he is. Embrace the reality of what he's done. Entrust your life to him. Entrust him for everything you need. You've been going to worthless places to try to find out who you are, to try to build some sort of stability and security into your life, to try to find some joy that you can live from. And I'm here to tell you, it's all in him. And his declaration is that you can come and drink freely from him. Why would you waste your effort on things that don't satisfy, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Holy Spirit, do your work today.
Meet us in the midst of these elements. Meet us in the midst of our brothers and sisters praying for us. Meet us in the midst of our contemplation. And yes, God, meet us in the midst of our celebration. And certainly, meet those who will be baptized today in the midst of their union with you. In Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.